Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, the World Podcast Network, and the Family Podcast Network. And we're on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 8.20 a.m. across Central Virginia, and 1650 a.m. in Hampton Roads, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast.vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast.vhha.com. I'm Selena Loris, VHHA, and today we're happy to be joined by Dr. Elise Cope, an assistant professor in the UVA School of Medicine's Department of Neuroscience, for a conversation about social memory, her research lab, and more. So welcome to the show, Dr. Cope. Thanks for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you again for being with us. So the notion of memory in both the metaphysical and neurological sense is a fascinating subject scholars and scientists have explored for quite some time. As a baseline for this conversation and as a way to get to know you a little more, could you tell us about what you do and what about the brain so fascinates you and inspires your current research? Well, my lab in particular is really interested in cognitive function and more specifically a specialized form of cognitive function known as social memory. So social memory, I sort of think of it and sort of the domain between the social behavior as well as cognitive function. But really, in its like simplest definition is the ability to remember interactions with other people. So this includes recognizing previously encountered individuals, but also remembering socially relevant information about those individuals. So my lab is really interested in how forms of structural plasticity in the brain, which is really what got me interested in neuroscience to begin with, and how that impacts social memory function. So what I mean by structural plasticity, I think it's kind of a broad term, but I mean like changes in the shape size of neurons, as well as changes in non-neuronal forms of structural plasticity, if that makes sense. So I'm interested in glia. I'm also interested in the extracellular matrix and just how the brain changes its structure to regulate cognitive function and, again, more specifically, social memory function. Awesome. And that ties into my next question. And you kind of touched on this, but you might say that our brains are like organic computers. And like computers, the mind has processes for receiving, interpreting, storing, and retrieving information. Brain function, capacity, and recall naturally differs from one person to the next. Some people are good with names and numbers. Others might be more visually or sensory oriented. In short, we all have brains that work based on how we are wired. And like you mentioned, and you've already touched on this, but your work focuses on social memory. So in layman's terms, what is social memory? Or is there anything that you'd like to add to what you already said? I mean, I know I gave a broad definition of social memory, but I don't think people realize how important social memory is for just our overall social well-being. And it's also like a really imperative function or often dysfunction in many different neuropsychiatric disorders. So I think a lot of people often think of autism when they think of social impairments, but it is a symptom or deficit in actually a broad spectrum of neuropsychiatric conditions. So people with depression often experience changes in social behavior. Schizophrenia is associated with social memory impairment, as well as more severe neurodegenerative diseases that have memory impairments like Alzheimer's disease. So it's an important ability that is not just important for healthy individuals, but it's also can be really bad when it's not working properly. And, and can really contribute to reduced quality of life. I don't know if I remember the first part of your question. <laughs> no, no, you answered that perfectly. <laughs> and you've also, you touched on this, but I wondered, do you have anything to add um, to this question of, tell me how neurological impairment might impact one's social memory? 
So, I mean, like I said, in the more broadest definition, it's just to remember social interactions with people. And I think maybe what comes to mind more readily is in the severe disorders, like let's say an Alzheimer's disease, where they really begin to not even recognize family members. They're people that they interact with on a regular basis, and patients often don't even recognize family members. But some of the symptoms in maybe the more nuanced symptoms are the inability to recognize familiar faces or even familiar voices. But it does go broadly beyond just like recognition of a peer, but also like remembering socially relevant information about those sort of interactions and the ability to adapt your social response to those interactions. Yeah. And as I understand it, some of the work conducted by the COPE lab examines changes in the cells and circuitry of the brain and how that impacts function and cognition. Can you tell us more about that work? So my my lab is primarily focused in a brain region called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is largely thought to be this brain region that's associated with learning and memory function. But we also know that it's important for other behaviors as well, including anxiety and stress regulation, as well as social behavior. So my lab focuses mostly on the hippocampus and uh, intrahippocampal circuits, and more specifically on forms of structural plasticity within the hippocampus. One of the arms of that forms of structural plasticity is adult neurogenesis, and this is actually the production of new neurons throughout adulthood. And it's a process that is sort of in the adult brain confined to two different brain regions, the hippocampus being one of them. So we're really interested in how changes in the number or the activity of these newly produced cells alters social memory function, and more specifically, how the connections that they make, how they alter social memory function. On the subject of research, tell us about the COPE Lab, and by extension, the recent National Institutes of Health grant award given to investigate the role of the hippocampal structural plasticity to social memory circuits, which I know that you already touched on. So what do you hope to document or discover in that work? So broadly, my lab is interested in both neural and non-neural forms of structural plasticity. This recent grant award is focused specifically on adult neurogenesis and how the impacts of the production or the activity of these cells influences social circuits or social memory circuits. But broadly, my lab is really hoping to uncover how the interactions of these different forms of structural plasticity, how they sort of work in concert to produce either an atypical or a typical social memory function. So we really want to understand how if we can influence these different social memory circuits by mediating forms of structural plasticity if that could potentially be used as a therapeutic for social memory function, and again, more broadly speaking, for you know disorders that have social memory impairments. Thank you. And this is obviously a complex subject, and we're just scratching the surface in this brief conversation. But for people listening to this, what is one takeaway about the brain you'd like to leave people with? So I guess my takeaway is mainly that the brain is a highly plastic structure. It's constantly changing and it changes in response to our experience. It changes in response to certain disease. And that makes it seem like it's a bad thing, but it's actually cool because that means that that may be some sort of thing that we can target, that we can target these different plastic states of the brain to sort of help improve function. So again, my lab is really broadly interested in these forms of structural plasticity and how we can target forms of structural plasticity to improve function in the brain. So I think that's a really fascinating topic and something that my lab really hopes to contribute in the field in the future.
Awesome. Thank you. And thank you so much again for being with us today. Before we let you go, we do have a tradition on the Patients Come First podcast to ask our guests a pair of personal questions to give listeners a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. To keep things interesting, we have a list of 10 mystery questions. So please choose two numbers between 1 and 10, and I'll ask you the corresponding questions. (laughs) Okay, this is fun. Um, Two. Number two, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? Oh, goodness. So one book, one album. Mm -hmm. And one movie. And one movie. So one book, I'd probably bring my Bible. Yeah, I'd I'd bring my Bible. One movie. I'm actually not a huge movie fan. I'm more of a show fan, but probably my favorite movie would be Pride and Prejudice. The 2005 version or BBC version? The BBC version, like the show. Oh, that's my favorite one too. <laughs> I, know I said I'm not allowed to do a show, but the, no, but no, the that's show perfect. That's my favorite show. too. <laughs> In vain, I have struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. In declaring myself thus, I am fully aware that I will be going expressly against the wishes of my family, my friends, and I hardly need add my own better judgment. Um, I think, yeah, Colin Firth is a better Mr. Darcy. An album. Album. I don't have a favorite album. I'm trying to think. Probably like an oldies hit or something. Like a classic oldies rock album. And you want to pick one more number? I'll do number six. Number six. In the hypothetical scenario that you had one time access to a time machine with limits, you can either travel 100 years into the past or 100 years into the future. Which direction do you choose and why? Well, that's a tough one. 100 years. I'm trying to think 20. I think I would travel in the future. Main reason is because we already know a lot about the past and I know we can learn a lot more from the past, but I think I would travel in the future. I would travel in the future. I think, yeah, learning more about what our world looks like and maybe making predictions about how we could make it better. Well, that brings us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. And we want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Elise Cope, for joining us today. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. 